All right, we're going to be continuing our series this morning on, on, uh, on uh, entitled Broken Pieces. We're in week four. We've been going through the book of Job, and, you know, this is going to be a little bit, I think, a little bit different. I, I kind of, as I put this together the last couple of weeks, I kind of was putting it together, and, um, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, as I was kind of feeling this is the direction the Lord wanted us to go, I, I kind of had an argument with God. I mean, not an argument like, but, but just I was kind of having this moment where I was like, God, I, I think what we've been talking about, what you, I feel like you're wanting me to move into is things that we've kind of talked about before. I kind of felt like I actually went back and I keep all my notes and, and all the stuff that I've shared uh, in, in, my, in my office. And so I kind of went back and I kind of realized, like, well, God, I feel like I've spoken on this a little bit. And, and, and it was kind of one of those moments where I was kind of arguing with God. I said, God, I kind of want to share something different. I had a different idea and a different thought. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of keep this series short because we had a really long series over the summer. And, and so I wanted to keep it fairly short. And next week we're going to be talking about um, identity. And we're going to be talking about kind of a, bringing a, a close to this series that's kind of a, not just, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks it's been kind of hard and it's been kind of a, you know, dealing with depression and dealing with suffering. And, and today we're going to be talking about bitterness. And, and next week is going to be a great message. It's going to fit hopefully really well with, with the baptismal. I'm, I'm actually very excited about it. But, but this morning, again, I, I, I felt like God was saying, no, you need to talk about this bitterness. And I did. I felt like, God, we've kind of talked about this a lot. I, I don't understand why we've talked about this so much. And, and, and I really didn't get an answer until I was looking uh, in my quiet time and I was studying some things and, and I was beginning to see, and in, in, it's not important where, but I was beginning to see this concept of, 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 of God saying things over and over and over again. And I kind of was like, well, God, why did you keep saying it over and over and over again? And it was in some way because we don't always understand the first time. And, and I feel like, I kind of have a new understanding of why this is a little more important than maybe we've understood it before. And I really believe that if we can understand this today and let God do in our lives what God wants to do, that this is not only going to change our lives, it's going to change this church. Okay? And so this is a very important message. And this is one of those messages that, that I may share in a different way. I know I'm going to be doing some things that are different that I don't normally do but because I want us to truly understand and really be open to what God is trying to communicate. This is one of those moments, okay, where I know it's easy to kind of start to look at, well, you know, I'm, I sure am glad my wife's here because she needs to hear this. Or I'm sure this is one of these moments where you really need to look at yourself, okay? And not just on a surface level, but there, I think there's some really, really deep things here that God wants to heal and bring forth some life into, Okay? And so again, I want that to be a, a focus this morning and understanding. But, but let's jump into this as we get into this idea of, of bitterness. Is we're gonna, our text is in Job 27. And in Job 27, uh, verse numbers 1 through 6, this is kind of our text, but we're also going to be jumping around a little bit, kind of like we have been doing, where Job is kind of our, 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 our home base and we kind of move from there. And Job 27, 1 through 6, it says this, 
And Job continued his discourse. Basically, in chapter or in, in, in um, chapter twenty six, uh, Job has been talking, and 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 his his friends have been talking. Like we talked about last week, most of the book of Job is Job and his three friends having this conversation or having this dialogue. And so Job has shared some things in twenty six, and he's waiting for his friends to respond, and they're quiet. They don't respond at this point. And so Job continues his discourse or continues his dialogue, and he says this. He says, as surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made my life bitter. As long as I have life with me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as as I live. Father, we love you and we just need some help right now. Father, one of the hardest things that we deal with in our lives with you at times is the concept of discipline. And discipline is not a bad word. It's not a dirty word. It's not a harsh word. We, we typically look at it as a harsh word. God, as we look in your word and as we understand discipline, discipline is love. It is an expression of love. And Father, I don't use that word, and in some ways I don't like to use it because sometimes we have this negative idea. But God, right now I pray that you would help us to understand that in this moment, what you're desiring to do is love us. What you want to do is show us areas of our lives that maybe we need to have you heal and work in and do some special things in. Father, every individual that's here is not here by accident. They're not here just because. They are here in this moment because you knew at the, from the beginning of time that we need this time with you. Because, Father, whether we understand it or not, we all deal with this. And we need you to help us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Job's been through a lot. He's lost his family. He's lost his friends. He's lost his health. He's lost, uh, in a lot of ways, some friendships. He has these close friends that show up, and he, they're there to kind of comfort, and, and really all they do is hurt him and, and make him confused. And, and so now Job is dealing with this bitterness that begins to kind of well up in his heart. This bitterness that, it is, that is kind of there, that, that is kind of planted in him. And here's the thing I think we need all understand. Whenever we're treated unfairly, because, because definitely he felt that way. And whenever, whenever something bad happens or somebody does something to us that we get upset about or we don't understand, there is this planting of, of, of a seed in our heart. It plants there. It's, it's, it's put there. And we begin to see if, if it's going to grow or not. But no matter what, no matter what we've gone through, no matter who we are, we deal with these things and we deal with this concept of this root and this bitter root. And that's where we're going to really start this morning is talking about the bitter root. In Hebrews twelve fifteen, this is what it says. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out for that poisonous root of bitterness. Um, that grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. It's interesting here that, that the writer of Hebrews talks here about this understanding of a bitter root. Now, I think everybody knows what roots are, right? Okay? Everybody knows what roots are. Sometimes they, they're, they're visible, but most of the time you don't see the roots. They're hidden. 
They're under the ground and basically goes from there. My son recently came home from school. Uh, actually, it was last year. Um, he came home with a sunflower plant. You know? You remember that? And I also remember, how many of you guys remember when we were kids, we would do the, um, I think it was a bean sprout. And you remember that? And you'd put it on the, um, the wet paper towel, and then it would begin to root out and spread out and things like that. We, we all understand roots. We understand the, the understanding of, of how they work. They, they, they are hidden. They're under the soil. They reach out. They begin to pull out water and nutrients. It helps the plant grow and so on and so forth. But one thing that we have to understand about roots is, although they're hidden, what is going to be soaked up and what's from the roots will eventually reach out and become the fruit that we see. You may be able to hide bitterness for a while. You may be able to to fool everybody for a little bit, but eventually what is there, that root that is there will eventually come out in the fruit that we have. It will always happen. And so this understanding is very interesting here as the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand, listen, this root, this poisonous root will eventually produce poisonous fruit. This is a big part of this part of this deal because here's what happens is we have to understand that the fruit that we produce is eaten by the people around us. It's eaten by our family members. It's eaten by our coworkers. It's eaten by our friends. It's eaten by the people that we come in contact with on a daily basis. And what's interesting is we see here that this poisonous root, this poisonous fruit that comes from this root doesn't just affect us, but it affects and corrupts many. It affects a lot of things and a lot of people. It's not one of these things that we think can can be hidden for very long because eventually it will come out. Eventually it'll take place. And here's the thing, and I talked about this just earlier. Anytime something happens to us that that hurts us, anytime that something happens to us that we deem is unfair or not right, we allow that seed to be planted. We allow that seed to sit there. And the question that we have to figure out at that moment is what are we going to do with that seed? Job here has been kind of fighting this for a long time. He's been going through all these things. People have been talking to him. And finally here in in chapter 27, he just looks at it and he goes, you know what? I'm I'm bitter. I'm upset. I don't understand. I'm just frustrated. Why? 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 And this is kind of where he finds himself. Because he feels like in some ways God's treated him unfairly. You see, sometimes bitterness can come from people. Sometimes it comes from God. Sometimes what happens is we look at the people that God has placed in our lives, and when they do something bad, we blame God for it. And so this begins to to affect who we are. It begins to affect our mood. It begins to affect the fruit that we are producing in our lives. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it seems sometimes hidden. We can kind of play it off. We can kind of make people think we're okay. But the fruit that we're producing from the root that is there will always be an issue that we need to understand with or deal with and figure out. We've kind of talked about those things before. But now I want to talk about some things a little bit different. I want to talk about dealing with these roots of bitterness. We're going to talk about three different guys. And, and I'll get this is kind of one of those things I don't normally do um, because, uh, you know, it's just, I don't always do it this way. But I want to talk about three different guys. And um, the first guy I want to talk about is a guy named Steve Saint. 
Um, now, to most of you, Steve Sane is not somebody that you would recognize. You don't know the name yet. Um, you probably know the story. Uh, Steve had a father. And, and Steve's father was an airplane pilot. And we could get into the long story, but I kind of want to keep it short. And Steve's dad um, was, was uh, a pilot, and he piloted missionaries into different areas, uh, especially in South America. And um, there was a tribe in Ecuador that uh, they were trying to reach. It was kind of one of these lost tribes, you know, they were kind of cut off from, from the world and civilization. And, um, and so they really wanted to make a difference in, in the lives of, of these people. Well, the government was having some issues because anytime they would try to bring people into this area, the, they, were, they were killing the, uh, the, the state workers. And so the, the government was kind of fed up with it. The government was kind of like, hey, um, we're just going to send the army in and we're going to wipe these people out. And so there was this concern that, that obviously if these people died, they, they wouldn't know Jesus. And so they asked, can we go and, and make contact with these individuals, with this tribe? And then the state said, you know, go right ahead. But you know what? They're going to kill you. And they said, it's okay. You know, we're, we're going to go. So they, they, they went and they had contact with these, this tribe. And the first time it went actually pretty well. They brought gifts and, and everything was fine. And, 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 and they were kind of excited. Okay, you know, this, is, this, is, this went well. Well, the second time they went in, things did not go so well. And Steve's father, who was the pilot, and I think it was three other missionaries, uh, landed their plane and, and were killed. They were speared to death, and then their bodies were hacked into pieces. And um, it was pretty brutal, pretty, pretty sad. This happened in 1956. Steve was four years old. When he lost his dad. Now, I remember I told you, you know, some of you, Steve, that, that, isn't, that name doesn't ring a bell. But I think most of you may remember the movie, The End of the Spear. And that was the story. And I saw that movie a long time ago. I don't know, I think it came out in the 90s or something. I'm not sure. Um, but man, can you imagine losing your dad? Four years old. Dad gone. As I was putting this together, and, and not that I'm wonderful or anything like that, but I wondered, I put, put, tried to put myself in, into Steve's position as a young person, and then also thinking of like how it would affect my son if, if I was gone. And not only gone, but, but brutally murdered. And the anger, and the frustration, and the hurt, and the bitterness that would begin to well up probably inside of me. That, that, that feeling of, of how could they do that? They, they were just there. What's interesting about the story is if you look at it, the government was like, you should take guns, you should take protection, you should, you should be able to protect yourself. And the missionaries said no. And they said, why not? They said, well, if we have guns, we may use them. And the government's like, yeah, that's the point of the guns. And they said, basically, listen, if we use the guns and we kill them, we know where they're going to go. If they kill us, we know where we're going to go. And so they chose to not even have things to protect themselves. And I can imagine Steve dealing with those. Well, what's interesting about the story is Steve did not, and his family and his mother did not allow bitterness to take control. You see, in that moment, that seed was planted. And Steve had a choice to make. His family had a choice to make. Do they get bitter? Do they get angry? Do they blame God? What do they do? 
Well, again, to make a long story short, basically what ended up happening is his mother and Steve actually went and lived among this tribe. And many of them became Christians. And what is more amazing, even almost than that, is one of the men that killed Steve's father became his adopted grandfather. And they've literally traveled around the world sharing the gospel of Jesus and the forgiveness that God can bring. You see, Steve didn't have to do that. He could have been angry. He could have been mad. He could have said, God, why? But he decided to do something different. There's another gentleman I want to talk to you about. His name is Charles Templeton. Maybe you know the name, maybe you don't. Charles Templeton was an evangelist back in the 40s. I know you know his friend. He had a friend that you know very well. His name was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham and Charles would travel around and they would do these large uh, evangelistic uh, tent meetings and all those sort of things. He, in 1946, founded Youth for Christ. He did an amazing amount of work. Uh, thousands and thousands of people became saved. It was just an amazing thing. But, but some things began to happen in his life. Some things began to take place. Some questions that he started to have. And, and, and I found some, some information on him. And I'm just going to read this to you. But because this is what it says. It says uh, it, it, when, when he was 83 years old, Charles Templeton, well, let me kind of go back. He, so he starts to doubt. He starts to have these questions. He begins to deal with, with this idea of suffering and not understanding and getting more and more upset with God and more upset with, with Christians and more upset with how things had been handled. And basically, we, we see some, some change begin to take place in his life. And when he was 83 years old, he describes it himself. This is what he says. This is a quote from him. He says, I was reading Life magazine. And there was a photograph in the magazine of a black woman in northern Africa. And she was holding her dead baby in her hands and looking up to heaven. And I looked at it and I thought, how could a loving God do this to this woman? How is it possible to believe that there is a loving or caring creator when all this woman needed was rain? He had other questions. He had other doubts. He, had, he, he began to question this idea of suffering. And, and, and eventually, I think in 1995, he wrote a book called Farewell to God. My reasons for rejecting the Christian faith. This man who had been used by God in mighty, mighty ways. This man who had, had, had seen thousands come to know God. Had got his head wrapped around the idea of suffering and not being able to understand. And trying to understand. And eventually it took him away from God. And he became a bitter person. A man that rejected not just the Christian faith. But God in every shape and form. You can still buy his book today. I found it on Amazon. He talks things about questions he has on the Bible and, and, um, and, and suffering and, and Alzheimer's. And you don't even have to read the book. You can just read sections of the book to see just this, this anger almost come out. This bitterness that comes out. And so he had that question. He looked at that, that magazine and, and instead of doing kind of what Steve did, he, he began to embrace that bitterness. 
and feed that bitterness. And eventually it, it caused him to walk away from, from Christ. The last one I want to talk about is a guy we know fairly well. His name is Jesus. And it's easy sometimes to forget that Jesus, although was fully God, was fully man. And he dealt with things. And, and, and I love the scripture that talks about that he dealt with the things that we deal with. How did Jesus deal with that? Because here's the thing. Jesus had some really bad things happen to him in his life. One of his close friends, Judas, betrays him with a kiss. I mean, here's the thing we forget about Judas sometimes. You know, we kind of we turn him into just the bad guy. You know, we just kind of turn him into the guy that um, betrays Jesus. We almost, we almost call him, if you think about it, we could be Judas the betrayer. But, you know, Judas saw Jesus make blind men see. He, he learned from him for those three years. He saw Lazarus, think about this for a second. He saw Lazarus dead and then alive again. I mean, you, you get what I'm saying here? I mean, Jesus welcomes him into to his family. He welcomes him in. He was one of the 12. He experiences all these things. And then the first chance Judas gets in some ways, he betrays him. Look at Peter. Peter was even closer to Jesus than Judas. He was one of the three. Peter saw things Judas didn't see. And yet, Peter denies him three times. Think about the crowd. I always think about this. The crowd that shouts Hosanna when he walks into, or when he rides into Jerusalem, less than a week later, some of those, I guarantee you, in that crowd are shouting, crucify him. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus knew who they were. Jesus was, was hurt. Jesus went through pain. He went through suffering. He went through moments where he couldn't. I mean, can you imagine that? To be betrayed, to be betrayed on that level. And that hurt. And Jesus had those seeds planted, and he had a choice to make. Was he, in a weird way, was he going to be like Steve or was he going to be like Charles? And Jesus makes a choice. And I think this is interesting that we catch this. Because in Luke 23, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And this is what he says. He says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Now, I'll be honest. I, I looked at that this week. And, and you know, I, I always tended to look at that as, as, well, Jesus is forgiving those that are nailing him to the cross. And I definitely believe that's the case. Jesus is offering forgiveness. We see forgiveness for the thief that's on the cross. We see one of the Roman soldiers acknowledging who Jesus is. But, but, but I think it's even more than that. I think he is also forgiving those that put him there. He's forgiving those that, that are now mocking him and saying things. That are, they're looking at Jesus and saying, if you're really who you say you are, come on down and we'll believe. Jesus stays there. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I don't know how he did that other than just an unbelievable love that I can, can't even comprehend. But he didn't get bitter. Instead, he forgave. Instead, Jesus said, you know what? I'm not going to allow this, this root to grow. I'm not going to allow it to take place. So what do we do? What do we do? Number three, either we're watering or we're starving 
the root of bitterness. We're either watering it or we're starving it. Because here's the thing. Whatever you feed grows, but whatever you starve dies. So, how do we starve the root of bitterness? Okay, because again, we're all got these things planted in our hearts. We all got these things that we're dealing with in our hearts. So, we have to figure it out. We have to figure out what we need to do to starve it. The first thing is we have to repent. Okay? Now, that may seem counterintuitive, but trust me, this is an important first step that we need to understand. Look at Job 42. Let's go back to Job. In Job 42, the book is kind of getting ready to close out, and this is what Job said. We've read this before in our series. It says this, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful. For me, you said, Listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And number six, I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Here's the thing here's the thing we're hurt, we're wronged, we have these situations, and you know what we typically do? We sit back and go, okay, that person that hurts me, that person that did this to me, whether it's my dad or my mom or my friends or my, or my pastor, whoever it may be, and we'll sit back and we'll go, okay, folks, you've wronged me, you've hurt me, now come say you're sorry. We all do it. We all do it. We all sit there and think, well, that's what's going to make it better. But the problem is, is we've allowed that bitterness to grow. We have chosen to look at those things and water those things. You look at the book of Job and you see this progression that begins to take place. You see these things and Job begins to live there. He begins to make sure that everybody knows what's going on. We kind of basically, and this is what we tend to do, we kind of set up shop in that bitterness place. We kind of make that our home. And we want to make sure that everybody knows who hurt us. We want to make sure everybody knows what happened. You know, I could be better, but my dad did this. Sound familiar? I could be better, but you know what? That pastor did this to me. And I've never let it go. You know, we have a choice to make. And a lot of times when we water that seed of bitterness, we make the wrong choice. We do the wrong thing. And sometimes we need to stop looking at everybody else and all that they've done and realize that in some ways we have been a part of doing things that were destructive in our own lives. And sometimes that means us being willing to humble ourselves, go to our Father and say, God, forgive me. You go, but I didn't do anything. I didn't, listen, I get that. I get that maybe this was no fault of your own. But you still had a choice to decide what you were going to do with that seed that was planted. And sometimes it starts with us being willing to get on our face before our Father and say, God, I didn't handle it very well. Will you forgive me? That's what Job does here. I mean, Job, listen, we, we, we talked about the suffering that Job is experiencing. Job is a good man. Job is blameless, not sinless, but blameless. He hasn't done anything to deserve this stuff. I mean, yeah, he's dealing with pride, but, but he's not looking. I mean, you know, he, he, and he's sitting there. Well, what does Job do? He goes to God. 
and says, God, I'm sorry that I didn't handle it the right way, that I questioned, that I did all these things, that I was angry. And I think that's an important first step that a lot of us miss because a lot of times what we think is if that person will just come say they're sorry, then it'll make it all better. The problem is, is that root in that system and that growth has already taken place. And unfortunately, in that moment, sometimes sorry doesn't always fix that problem because it's so deep in our heart. So what else do we do? After we repent, next, we make a deliberate choice to remove. Okay? If you haven't caught this, these are all going to be ours. Okay? So we make a deliberate choice to remove. Look at Ephesians 4.31. This is what it says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of behavior. Again, we think and we hope and we want to believe that basically eventually this bitterness will just go away. Eventually I'll get over it or, or they'll get over it or they'll say they're sorry and make everything better. And guys, it just doesn't work that way. You ever had that person that's hurt you? Like really, really bad. And then there's going to be, and so you, maybe you don't see them, you know, it's like you, you kind of cut off from them or whatever. And then there's a wedding or a funeral and you know you're going to see them there. And all those feelings come up again. Because you thought you dealt with it and dealt, dealing with it is not ignoring it. It's not pretending it's not there and it's not avoidance. And so it all comes back again. Oh man, I'm going to see him. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? How am I going to handle it? I still can't get, I'm still upset that they, listen, this has got to be a deliberate action. This has got to be something that you are removing from your life. And it may be in stages and it may take time. And I understand that. And I think God understands that as well. But it's got to be a deliberate thing. It cannot be. Listen, hear me. It will not go away if you just let it sit there. Okay? It's still under the surface. It's still there. It's still growing. Okay? You got, you got weeds in your yard? What happens if you pull them but you don't get the root? What happens? comes back. It comes back, but, it, but I don't see it anymore. It doesn't appear like there's anything there. They're still there under the surface. You see, God doesn't just want to remove the top of the weed. He wants to get in there and remove the deep roots that have taken place, that have worked their way into your life, that are so deep and so destructive. So we have to understand that it's more than just avoidance. It is actually us being deliberate, making a deliberate choice. And the next final one is we make a deliberate choice to replace. A deliberate choice to replace. We repent, we remove, we replace. Look at Ephesians 4.32 as we continue. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I love this here because as Paul is writing to his Ephesians, he doesn't just say remove everything. You know, one of the things that I think that we, we sometimes miss as pastors is we tell you all the stuff that you need to remove. And, in there, and then there's a void there. God desires to replace those things with good things. He wants to remove the bitterness and the anger and the hurt. And he wants to replace it with kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. It's it's more than just removing. It's allowing God to replace in you something beautiful. You don't just pull the weeds and leave them there. If this makes sense going with that. You pull the weeds, you pull the roots, and then God wants to make it a flower bed with things that are beautiful in your life. 
And I think sometimes if we miss one of these steps, if we don't do all three, we can kind of easily go back to where, this, where, where that bitterness begins to grow again. Because again, we see that person or that person comes into our life again or, 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 or something happens and we, we begin ang- beginning, getting angry again and bitter again and, and stay away from things again. We have to be careful. Now, this is how I want to close. And this is where, as I was looking at this, I felt like God said, you need to understand, and the people need to understand this a little bit more. And and it matters a little bit more than we even probably get it credit for. We're going to go back to Charles. Remember Charles? Charles uh, Templeton. He, uh, excuse me, he wrote the book, and, and um, I'm pretty sure, I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he died in 2001. And uh, he was being interviewed by Lee Strobel. And uh, he was asking him a bunch of questions, and, and I want you to hear this. I'm going to read it from him, because I think it's important that you see this. Here's this man that, um, you know, and I believe I believe the uh, the, the um, this quote in this um, interview took place when he was uh, in his he was in his 80s. I know that maybe he was 83. And this is what he said. This is this is Lee Strobel interview, or interviewed him. And he asked him this question. He said, and how do you assess this Jesus? Templeton's body language softened. It was as if he suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old, dear friend. His voice, which at times had displayed such a sharp and inconsistent edge, now took on a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace, carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. He was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was intrinsically the wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that he was a form of greatness? This is Lee speaking. I was taken aback. You sound like you really care about him, I said. Well, yes. He is the most important thing in my life, came his reply. I... I know it may sound strange, but I have to say, I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Yes, and, and, and tough. Just look at Jesus. He, 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 he was angry. People don't think of him that way, but they don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed 
and the exploited. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the less duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human being in history. There have been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. He's the most, he stopped, then he started again. In my view, he declared, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. That's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear from him. And if I may put it this way, he said as his voice began to crack, I miss With the tears flooding his eyes, he turned his head and looked downward, raising his left hand to shield his face from me. His shoulders bobbed as he wept. Templeton fought to compose himself. I could tell it wasn't like him to lose control in front of a stranger. He sighed deeply and wiped away a tear. After a few more awkward moments, he waved his hand dismissively. Finally, quietly but adamantly, He insisted, enough of that. We've all been hurt. When I was in college, you know, Bible college, you know, time where you're supposed to be training for all this and I allowed some hurt to get in my life and some bitterness grew. Wasted a year of my life dealing with depression and bitterness and anger. I was angry at people that that treated me poorly. I was angry at how I'd been looked at and viewed and how I'd been deceived. And in that, I was angry at God because those people should have known better. They, they represented him. You know what's interesting is one, I think one of the reasons why Satan hates us so much is because he sees us and he sees God. You see, we were created in God's image. And I think one of the things that I know I deal with in my own life is when people that I think know better, people that are Christians or claim to be so, and, and they treat me unfairly or, or harshly or, 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 or say things that aren't true or whatever it might be, I get angry. In some ways, I get angry at God because I go, God, they're supposed to be representing you and they're treating me like this. And that bitterness begins to grow. And here's the thing I think that we have to understand when it comes to bitterness, because eventually what it will lead to is not just death, but separation from Jesus. This week, I began to look over my life and I began to to try to figure out this understanding. And what I found was when I allowed that root of bitterness to grow, it not only affected me and my relationships with people, but more than that, it affected my relationship with Jesus. 
And as I looked and as I read what Charles had said, I began to understand where he was coming from because I knew in those moments I could say the same thing. I missed Jesus. Because in my bitterness, I'd pushed him away. In my anger, I'd said no to him. In my desire to to live in that hurt and live in that victim mentality, I basically said no to him. Folks, why this is so important is obviously because of the relationships that we have with our family members or our friends or, or whatever. But ultimately, ultimately, this root will affect our relationship with Jesus. I don't want to miss him anymore. And for some of us, we have been going through life and, and, and we don't even understand and we have these comments or we have these things that we say, why is it that Jesus seems so far away? Why is it that I don't understand? I, I don't feel his love. I don't feel close to him. I feel far All these things, could it be, folks, could it be that our own bitterness has been what has separated us from Christ. He's always there. Don't misunderstand me. But you know what I'm talking about. There's times where where life gets busy and things get crazy. And I think you'll get this. And I'm with my wife every single day. I go to bed next to her, wake up in the morning, and she's usually up before me, but she's there. And at times, we'll look at each other and we'll say this, even though we're close, even though we're physically there, she'll look at me and she'll say, I miss you. Spiritually speaking, I too believe that there is a lot of people in this place today that miss Jesus. And they don't know when it started, and that's not important. What's important is right now that Jesus is here. You see, here's what's sad. From all that we know, Charles died without Jesus. He never allowed God to heal his heart. He never allowed Jesus to come close again. Even though, by his own admission... He adored him. He missed him. You see, that's what bitterness does. It robs us of so many things. He, and what's crazy, he knew the answer. He knew what he needed. He knew that what he needed more than anything was Jesus. And the man was so angry and so bitter that he went into an eternity without him. Are you better than he is? Because I know I'm not. I know that in my heart there are still places of bitterness and hurt that I still haven't truly given over to Jesus. And yes, there are times in my life where I can say the same thing. I miss Jesus. The worship team wants to come on up. We're going to close. Folks, listen to me and hear my heart. God doesn't waste Sundays. 
And I got a feeling, as much as it may annoy me and annoy you, God's not going to stop beating this drum until we respond to what he's trying to do inside of us and through us. And I think he's doing it because he understands how vital this really is. Because again, it doesn't just affect our relationship with each other. Eventually, it affects our relationship with him. And so here's what we're going to do. John and the worship team are going to come and they're going to lead us in a, in a closing chorus. And I'm just going to open up that, the altar. And you can go over there, you can come up front. It's really up to you. It doesn't matter where you go. If you want to go under the stairs, there's, there's altars under there. Go right ahead. But to close this service, what I really feel is the most important thing is that we just, we start with the repentance. And we repent to our Father. And then we begin to remove and replace. And that, that takes some time, I know. But I truly believe God wants to remove some of these deep, deep things. Please, for the sake of yourself and your family, and more importantly, your relationship with Jesus, today's the day. And I get it. You may look at me and say, but Aaron, you don't know what he did to me. You're right. I don't. I don't. But I also know that God's bigger than whatever you've ever faced. And what's so beautiful is not only did Charles miss Jesus, but Jesus missed Charles. And you may have thought that it's been hidden and it's been hided away and it's, it's deep, but you know what? It's still there, it's still growing, and it's still affecting everything in your life. So it's time. Please. I love you and it's time. It's time to let God take that bitterness and heal you and let it change everything in your life. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to open up the altars. And if that's you and you just need to go and say, God, there's still some hurt. There's still some hurt that's turned into bitterness that I need you to fix and I need you to begin to heal me. And I'm just going to encourage you, go find a place, wherever it is, just find a place here and pray and let God do what he needs to do. So Father, we come to you and we love you. And God, just like Job, we deal with these, this bitterness. Things happen that seem to be unfair or we're treated wrong or, or bad things happen and that seed is planted. And I've never met a single human being ever that's not been able to either water or starve it. it. It's just one of the two things is going to happen. And, and I've even had people say, well, I've just ignored it. That's watering it because you're not dealing with it and it's growing. And so Jesus, can you just, through your Holy Spirit right now, just illuminate that stuff in our life that needs to be dealt with? 
Because I truly believe that even though some people have never really been able to vocalize it, they've realized this morning that really what's going on in their life is they just miss you. And they need you. And so Jesus, we know that when we pray for healing, you heal. When we pray and repent, you forgive. So Jesus, for all of us right now, help us to find you and heal our hearts. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. If that's you, while the worship team sings, let's just find a place to pray.